At Online MedEd, we walk you through every topic in detail, so you're ready for the boards and the wards. The rates of cervical cancer are rapidly decreasing in the United States because we've increased our surveillance, catching cancer as precancer, and then we've developed an effective vaccine against the cancer by protecting against HPV. And that is the main cause of cervical cancer, HPV. So let's look at the lifespan of a woman. At 11, menarche, 51, menopause. And what you'll see is there's a bimodal distribution of cervical cancer that occurs in the 30s and in the 60s. Cervical cancer is going to present in one of two ways. In the reproductive age woman, you're going to see either an asymptomatic screen or postcoital bleeding. Any postmenopausal bleeding at all is suspicious for cancer. It needs to be investigated. Knowing that most postmenopausal bleeding has nothing to do with malignancy and is more likely trauma or atrophy, but still, postmenopausal bleeding should tip you off and make you suspect, hey, there's something could be cancer in there. And the reason why you'll see most of the cancer from cervical cancer occur in the reproductive age and why you almost never see it premenarchal is because cervical cancer comes from HPV. In order to get HPV, you have to have sex. So at 11 comes the onset of menses, puberty, and sexual activity. And it's HPV that causes the cancer. In particular, 16, 18, and those in the 30s are typically associated with malignancy. Not to be confused with 6 and 11, which cause warts. Now, there's many more strains and subproteins, but you don't really have to know that. Just recognize that 16, 18, and 30s cause cancer, and that's what we have a vaccine against. And once a girl becomes infected with HPV, she'll have it for her entire life, which is why the postmenopausal women can still get cervical cancer. Of course, they can still be sexually active. But once infected, they have this constant inflammatory condition, which ends up giving them cancer. So to understand the malignancy a little bit better, this is a uterus with a cervix. And what happens is you get infected with HPV. And that infection then causes inflammation of certain layers of the cervix. And initially, all that happens is the initial layer becomes dysplastic. And most of the cervix is spared. This is CIN1, also known as L-CIL. Eventually, though, the cancer is going to grow. And you're going to get more of the layer infected till eventually the entire cervix is filled with cancer. This is carcinoma in situ. Anything greater than CIN1 is considered age cell. Until you get into the actual malignancy, then it becomes cancer. And once the cancer leaves the epithelial layer, you have full-blown cancer. And you could have endocervical cancer, which may not be visible to the naked eye under examination, 
or you could have ectocervical cancer, which is usually visible on the unvisual inspection. And this is squamous cell. Can you have cervical cancer that is not squamous cell? Of course. But what I want you to learn is that HPV infects the epithelial layer and leads to squamous cell carcinoma. And so the risk factors for developing cervical cancer are going to be the things that give you HPV, and that is sex and other STDs, because HPV is effectively an STD. But also smoking increases the risk of cervical cancer two to threefold. So these are risk factors you can control. Once you get into the dysplasia, CIN 1, 2, 3, and carcinoma in situ, this is where you can screen patients with a pap smear. And ultimately, if they get full-blown cancer, they'll develop the symptoms of postmenopausal bleeding or postcoital bleeding, and they'll need a biopsy. All right, so what's CIN 1, 2, and 3? All that means is how much of the cervix epithelium is involved. And you can simply think of it as the outer third, middle third, and lower third. The more layers involved, the higher the CIN level, and carcinoma in situ is the complete layer. Not so important for the test, but you might hear people talking about it. And once you have diagnosed any level of dysplasia to cancer, you might want to have to know how to stage it. So if you've got cancer, this is how you stage. And in general, the more of the vagina is involved, increases the stage. The further out to the side it goes, makes it B. Let's see what I mean in just a minute. Stage 1 involves only the cervix. And 1A is microscopic, available only on cytology. 1B is macroscopic, you can actually see it with the naked eye. Stage 2A involves the upper two-thirds of the vagina. And 3A involves the lower third of the vagina. To make it B, it goes out. So if you have any involvement of the cardinal ligament, it becomes 2B. And if it involves the pelvic sidewall, it's 3B. And then distant metastases, stage 4. If you left the gynecologic system and you hit adjacent organs like the bowel and bladder, you've got 4A. 4B is going to be distant mets, not at all locally related. And knowing that if you allow cervical cancer to progress, almost all the patients are going to present with some sort of obstructive uropathy from involvement of the bladder and ureters. This is sort of the setup for cancer. This is the progression through cancer from dysplasia, how you stage it. So before we get into the diagnosis, I want you to kind of a little idea of what you can do when you find an abnormal exam, right? So I'm not going to spend so much time on managing the late stage of cancer, but how do you manage the early stage? When you look with a microscope on a culpo, what you're looking for is essentially any abnormalities of the cervix. And you might use some chemicals to enhance the imaging. If you see abnormal vessels, punctate hemorrhages, acetal-white changes with a clear border that's very different from the surrounding cervix, or mosaicism, a combination of things all at once, all those things are abnormal. And if you see that, what you can do is local ablative therapy. 
either leap, which is essentially a hot wire, or cryo, where you freeze it off. And these are local therapies. It may be that you can't see the lesion because it's endocervical. If it's endocervical, what you'll have to do is try to cut out everything, and you do that with a cone biopsy. But how do you know what to do and when? Ideally, women will be getting screened the way they're supposed to. And that's generally going to be the question. What do you do with a pap smear? How do you interpret the results? Most women should be getting an asymptomatic screen. And this used to be a bit of source of contention, but now it's very clear. You begin at 21 years old, regardless of their sexual activity, and you repeat the exam every three years. There are, of course, exceptions to this. It wouldn't be that easy. But the idea is that even though adolescents get infected with HPV, they tend to bounce. That is, they clear the HPV and never have a problem with it, so that people who have had HPV as an adolescent don't have it as an adult. That is to say, you only need to begin screening at 21 years old and then do it every three years. And the way you screen is with a PAP. Now, there's some exceptions. Every year, if you're HIV positive. If you're over 30 and you're getting PAPs and HPV testing, you can do it every five. And you stop at 65. And of course, exceptions to this would be someone who continuously has positive PAP smears. You want to continue the cancer screening. But in general, begin at 21, stop at 65 every three years. And the way you screen is with a PAP smear. And if you get a PAP, you're going to have one of three things. You're either going to have a completely negative PAP, which is normal. Most women will have a normal screen. Repeat in three years. You might have a grossly abnormal PAP. There's obviously something wrong, and you should reflex to a colposcopy. And on that colposcopy, you're either going to see something positive on the ectocervix or positive on the endocervix. You'll do an ectocervical inspection and biopsy and an endocervical curatage. That is, you actually get into the area you can't see and grab a biopsy, usually using a cytobrush. If the person is endobiopsy positive, positive endo, and it doesn't matter if they're plus minus ecto, if they're positive endo, they need a cone biopsy. If they've got positive ecto and nothing on endo, those are lesions you can see on the exam. You've got ecto, and you can do local ablation. And local ablation is going to be cryo or leap. But then the question comes in, what happens if you're not sure? What do you do with atypical squamous cells of un- certain significance. Ask us. If you have this abnormal cells, and the cytology isn't really great, but it's certainly not normal, you can do one of two things. You can reflex the HPV DNA, or you can increase the surveillance to Q6 months PAP. The idea goes like this. If you have ASCUS and your HPV DNA is positive, reflex the culpo, it's abnormal. 
if you have ASCUS and either at six months or 12 months, the pap smear is anything ASCUS or worse, reflex the culpa. If ASCUS is positive and HPV negative, it's normal, resume Q3 years. If ASCUS positive and then the repeat PAPs are normal, it's normal, go back to Q3 years. Start at 21, screen every three years, stop at 65. Know what to do if you've got ASCUS or what to do if you have an abnormal exam, that is what happens when the ecto is positive or the endo is positive. All right, let's just review one more time in general cervical cancer. The pathology is going to be HPV. Don't forget about smoking. The patient should be identified on an asymptomatic screen, that is pap smears, but can have postcoital bleeding if the reproductive age are postmenopausal bleeding if they're postmenopausal. The diagnosis begins with a pap smear and may reflex then to a culpa. And if you find a cancer, it will require staging. And staging is generally going to be based on a clinical exam, finding out where the cancer is relative to the vagina, cardinal ligament, and pelvic sidewall. The treatment is going to be dependent on what you find. If you've got ASCUS, do HPV testing. Knowing that you can increase surveillance with the test answer is probably going to be HPV DNA. If you have an ecto lesion, this is local ablation, leap, cryo. If you have an endocervical lesion, do a cone. If you are 2A or better, local resection is generally curative, which includes a local ablation. But if you are 2B or worse, you generally have to do debulking and get chemo and radiation. And this is usually a platinum-based therapy. And finally, prophylaxis. We have a vaccine against HPV. And with that vaccine against HPV, we can significantly reduce the amount of cervical cancer we see. Gardasil protects against HPV and is definitely recommended for girls 11 to 26, boys 11 to 21, knowing that you can extend this to nine years old as young as 9, and boys can go as late as 26, but the CDC recommends now 11 to 26 girls, 11 to 21 boys. That's cervical cancer.